Hi guys and welcome back. My name is Despina and in today's episode, we are up to episode five of Virtual Chats. And in today's video, I have interviewed Dr. Terry Simpson. Um, Dr. Terry Simpson is from California and he is a weight loss expert, surgeon. This guy is also a big believer in culinary medicine. Now you guys know that culinary medicine is right down my avenue. I firmly believe that you can cure or at least reverse chronic conditions using diet alone. So um, that is very controversial, but I really want you guys to take some time out of your day to watch this interview because Dr. Simpson took me through the Mediterranean diet and how beneficial it is for losing weight, one, and keeping it off too. If you guys know that losing weight is the easy part and keeping the weight off is the like is the hardest part. So um, we spoke about everything from Mediterranean diet to the obesity epidemic. He told me some astronomical numbers. Like for example, did you guys know that 70% of the American population is either obese, overweight, or morbidly obese? That for me, I when I heard that, I'm like, we have a much bigger issue on our hands. So without further ado, if you enjoyed this video, give it a big thumbs up and subscribe to our channel. Um, so Dr. Terry Simpson, thank you so much for coming on here. Um, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Well, I'm a, I'm a bariatric physician, which is a weight loss surgeon. Yeah. And I'm also became certified in culinary medicine, which is a new discipline in the medical field, which involves not only studying copious quantities of real research, but also uh, you have to be able to cook. Exactly. So surgery we serve for people who we classify as morbidly obese. So that okay. would be about a hundred pounds over ideal body weight. Okay. And we seem to have a major problem with that in the States. Um, about 70% of our adult population is either obese or overweight. About a third of them are morbidly obese. So it has become a health crisis in the United States. So surgery is reserved for that group of people. For most people, um, being a little overweight is sort of part of living in modern society. You clearly don't have that problem, but many people do. And, uh, and it's, uh, and that's usually the group that I, I end up speaking to. I try and keep them from coming to my operating room. That's kind of my goal. That's good. Sorry. Did you say 70%? Yeah. 70% of the adult population serious? in the United States is either overweight or obese. Yeah. So would you classify that as an epidemic absolutely wow. <clears throat> and, that, and that made COVID all the worse in the united states as you know COVID was hit the united states pretty hard um and we probably had a proportionally higher percentage of deaths because COVID is much harder on people who are obese wow that is insane okay well i i wasn't aware it was this high but okay um how did you get into your career well, surgery was easy. You know, you go to medical school and you're out there and saying, who are the people that I'm most like? And it happened to be the surgeons, which I was sort of shocked by. 
<clears throat> and then culinary medicine was sort of a natural extension of bariatric surgery for me, because while most of my colleagues are really good at putting bowels in rearranging and changing things, we're not necessarily good at saying, okay, go and eat less or go and eat better. And if you start looking at what different physicians talk about, you know, there's, if you go in, if you, there's just a thousand books on any given day about weight loss and diets, and there's a bunch of diets out there. And everybody seems to want to make up their own. Everybody wants to make up their own diet, name it after themselves, name it after a city. And what I discovered in the process of becoming certified is actually a lot of the research has been done and it's not done in the popular press. It's actually done in the real science of research and metabolism and absorption and digestion about what people should eat. We actually have known this for a while. Okay. Well, some, well, of, it, some of it based out of, out of the Mediterranean, which isn't a bad place to be. I am a Greek and there's been a lot of that is done on the Mediterranean diet. There are like 300,000 diets, right? Um, the most recent culty trendy diet is the carnivore diet. I don't know if you've heard of that. Oh yeah. I've heard okay. of them all. Now I interviewed Dr. Sean Baker. Now it was completely, um, interesting, but what are your thoughts on the carnivore diet? And do you think that there are certain health risks to consuming only these kinds of, of products every day? Well, we know that <clears throat> longevity is impaired when you consume nothing but meat every day or three or four times a week is vera what's considered a major carnivore and we look at longevity studies meaning how long will you live and those people simply don't live that long and when we talk about diets from an evolutionary perspective we end up with what's called a logical fallacy called a biotruth which is a, a biotruth is a misunderstanding of evolution human beings aren't meant to eat anything we evolved because we adapted to eat everything so while you can get all of your vitamins, minerals, and whatever from plants, or you can get them all from meat, or you can get them all from fish, that doesn't mean you should only be uniform in your dietary approach. In addition, there's also great misunderstandings when people say, well, this group of people eat this way and look how healthy they are. The best one with a carnivore diet are my, I'm one quarter Athabascan, Alaska native. My cousins are the Eskimos. I can tell you, <clears throat> that they are not a healthy people. They're short, they're vitamin deficient. They were ravaged by disease. When the Spanish flu came, they had the highest incidence of death among the Alaska natives and they're carnivores. So when you say, wow, it's the healthiest diet and look at the, the Inuit or the Eskimos and how they eat or the Yupiks and it's like, but they don't live that long. They have problems. And so I can't, you know, and not, Knowing that, but making the assumption because someone heard that is part of the problem with the diet world. The diet world, you can make logical sense. Like I can make it lot sound logical. You should eat carnivore. Meat contains all the vitamins, minerals, blah, blah, blah. And you should only eat that. It's all you need. And you don't stimulate insulin. Lots of nonsense based on notion, not based on science. So I can make a logical argument for any one of those diets, but it's not based on long-term foundations of what's been studied and what's mm -hmm. known. It's just a fad. And fads can be dangerous because here's what's dangerous about it. 
if you get in your head that a good piece of steak is diet food, you're going to be woefully disappointed in life and when you're trying to lose weight and eating a 12 ounce porterhouse steak. So, and just having that misinformation, plus in science, in medicine, we are taught the scientific method, same method you were taught when you were in grade school and I was taught when I was in grade school, we have a yep. hypothesis, we test it and we see the results. So it's great to have a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. What are the long-term results? So we have some evidence of the long-term results. The Eskimos don't live that long. They're short, have vitamin deficiencies and are ravaged by Western diseases. Um, so that doesn't sound good. People who live on a high meat diet don't have as much longevity as people who are on a high carbohydrate diet. So that's not good. So the premises of those hypotheses start to unravel. And then when they say other things, like I'll get this on my TikTok channel quite often, I had one person say, oh, you know, three ounces or a serving of brain or liver is more vitamins and minerals than an entire field of vegetables. And so mm -hmm. I said, you know, this is something that you can actually verify and check. So mm -hmm. let me just point out to you that you don't have as much vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin B. You have a lot of B12, but you don't mm -hmm. have a lot of other things. You don't have a lot of, and, and they're sort of shocked because they took as fact a notion instead of the scientific method of testing. So I think all diets should be put under the scrutiny of let's test it if it's, or has it been tested or are your premises even correct? So. I agree a hundred percent. I'm talking about TikTok. Now that's actually where I, I came across your video and you were talking about PCOS and how the Mediterranean diet, I believe you said it can help with the symptoms. Am I correct? When we look at diets for diseases, mm. we have to sort of be a little careful. Okay. Meaning that, you know, anybody who has a disease needs to see a doctor and get treatment. Yep. But diets are empowering for us to be able to prescribe to our patients who have them. So then we have to look at the range of diets that are out there and say, what are the diets and what are the tests that have been done? So for polycystic ovarian syndrome, of which there are two accepted types, four types in the popular press, it turns out that the Mediterranean diet has been tested and it has the best anti-inflammation for polycystic ovarian disease. It, it provided a great deal of symptoms and in, in the follow-up of it. And it became, and in addition, so you have decreased insulin resistance, which is one of the main problems with polycystic ovarian disease. You have decreased inflammation, which with the excess weight in most people who have polycystic ovarian disease is a problem. Mm. And it's just a well-balanced diet. So it turns out when it's been studied along with all the others that that turns out to be the best diet for that disease currently. Now that can change okay. tomorrow. We could have a great new diet in there, but of all the diets that have been looked at, all the studies been done, that has the best results of it. So would you say that the Mediterranean diet can cure or reverse, or it only controls PCOS? That's a really good question. There were in the studies that have been done, there have been a number of people who've had their symptoms reversed. And what that says is that if your symptoms are based upon excess weight, excess inflammation, excess insulin resistance, those are all things that can be treated with the Mediterranean diet and even reversed. So there were people who had, there were some people who had less symptoms, but still had 
some of the overall complex of PCOS. Okay. How common is uh, PCOS? Because over here, it's quite common. I have met numerous people that have it. So how common is it? It's actually become more and more common as obesity has increased. Mm. In the United States, it is probably one of the most diagnosed disorders besides pregnancy that comes in the OBGYN's office. So when you think about it, that's you know a lot of people who are coming in with it. But when you consider 70% of our adult population are overweight to obese, that's not necessarily surprising. So when we talk about that, and insulin resistance, um, the typical answer is low carb. So I want to sort of measure out low carb and, and differentiate it a little bit because vegetables are all carbs. Exactly. Whole grains, whole grains are all carbs. Um, fruits are all carbs. But mostly I think when people want to think of low, all carbs, I like, I prefer talking about fruit, vegetables rather than carbs because I think it leads to confusion. Okay. So when someone says, would you like a protein with that? We don't, you're not getting this strain of amino acids. You're getting, you know, a steak or a chicken or a fish or a kangaroo or whatever we, what is that we, that we're getting. But so I prefer talking about that because most people, when they talk about getting off of low carbs, they're getting off of highly refined, highly processed foods. Mm -hmm. you know? So probably you're not eating white bread anymore you're probably, or avoiding it as much as you can. You're probably not having too much candy or ice cream or stuff like that, but you're probably eating vegetables and you're probably eating some fruits and you're probably concerned about whole grains, which you shouldn't be. Okay. Um, what's so that's, and, I, and I think that's the whole mm -hmm. approach is we, I know what I mean when I say low carb, but most people when they say low carb means I'm avoiding junk food. It's like, I agree with that. <laughs> okay, so what's your definition of low carb then? Are we talking 100 grams of carbs a day, 50 grams or more or less? Well, I think that I avoid that genre because when I talk to my patients about things, I talk to them about the foods that they should be eating and how much of them in their diet. So rather than having to get out a calculator or a book or an app and say, I'm going to keep less than 50 grams of carbs or hundred grams of carbs, I'm going to say, you're going to need to eat nine ounces of fruits, nine ounces of vegetables, mm -hmm. four ounces of legumes, uh, four servings of whole grains in your diets daily. Okay. And those contain, if you follow, uh, you know, what we talk about with that, that ends up being about 55% of their diet is carbohydrates, but it gets very confusing mm -hmm. because, you know, how do you count the vegetables? I, I mean, and, 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 and I think that's the problem with working with macros as opposed to working with food. Mm -hmm. So I have, and the other thing that I tell my patient is this, I want you to pretend that you are illiterate and paranoid. So if you're illiterate and paranoid, if you see a lemon, you'll know that's a lemon. I can eat the lemon. But if you see a lemon on a box, you don't know if it's lemon juice or lemon scented cleaner, which will kill you. So you're not going to have it. So that's how I tell my patients, if you are going to shop in the store, 
you're you're illiterate and you're paranoid so you will buy the only things that you know are good and the other stuff you say i, I don't know what this is okay i see what you mean so um let's just go back to so the mediterranean diet when you say mediterranean diet do you mean the food that the ancient greeks consumed or are you talking about more of a modernized mediterranean diet well that's a great question it started out as the diet that traditionally came from the island of crete and some of the other islands in the mediterranean because what was noticed by the group that was studying them back in the 1940s was these people had an extraordinarily longer life and they had um, less heart disease in spite of smoking because smoking back then was everybody than other places and so then that that was the original mediterranean diet now um today if you go to the mediterranean like if you go to like i was in athens a couple of years ago most of the people there eat kind of the typical american diet or maybe it's the typical australian diet minus the vegemite <laughs> it's just they, <laughs> but but and so it's sort of uh, a lot of highly processed foods, a lot of um, a lot of junk food, a lot of fast food, and that's become the diet in the Western world. So we sort of have to different. And plus, what people eat in the island of Crete and in Athens is traditionally different than what they eat in Morocco, which is different than what they ate in, let's say, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And. Um, but it turns out that all of those places had what in common that they all ate a diet that was filled with a lot of fresh fruits, a lot of fresh vegetables, a lot of whole grains, a little bit of dairy, mostly fermented, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of meat, and a fair bit of seafood, and some alcohol, generally red wine. And by the way, the best red wine in the world is in Greece, just to put that out there. Okay. <laughs> it's true. Um, any particular brand that you enjoy most? or? So my favorite one was I'm we're 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 coming back from the Temple of Delphi. Someone is driving and says, I'm stopping here. You should buy some wine from this guy. This little old guy who looked like he was about 140 years old <laughs> had some wine. And I, he said, How much is it? He said, Well, it's I uh, it's two euros for a liter. I said, Here's five euros, I'll take a liter because I don't have any change and I don't want any change back. So he was so happy to get the money and he gave me this jug of wine. And I thought, you know, how how I mean, it's a, only a few. It was the best wine I've ever had. And I've had wine in, in great restaurants all over the world. And this no was way. just amazing. And so I made it my mission every time I'm in Greece to go and find different wines that are there. Not wines that they export, but the wines that they drink. Because like the wines in Santorini, for example. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The wines in Santorini, the grapes and the vines are, because of the winds on the island, the, they're, they're, the vines kind of grow in a circular way and protect the grapes. And those grapes just have this wonderful combination of sun. Anyway, but yes, so there are a lot of Greek wines that I really like. But think about it. They kind of invented wine. They did. And, and for 400 years, they couldn't, while the rise of France came up, they couldn't sell their wine because they were under the Ottoman Empire who were Muslim and said, you can't sell wine. You can drink it yourself. And so they have varieties there that are not the common varieties and are just delicious. And yeah, get what the locals drink. It's always good. Okay. So that's part of the Mediterranean diet. So that, so then what happened after that was, so we, we go back to the 40s and the 50s and they described and they separated out the foods. So then there was an intense bit of research that was done from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s 
separating out the foods and looking at which foods had what effect on people's health. Like, you know, they had, and they had 152 categories at one point. And they're saying, wow, these, this doesn't seem to have anything to do with their health. For example, eggs wasn't positive. It wasn't negative. It didn't have a positive effect or a negative effect. So eggs are anything. Out of many, many studies, they came up with a, have come up with first to 12 and now a nine point system where we say, if you meet these targets, the closer you adhere to this, we can actually show, for example, in the nine point system, you get five or more, an 8% decrease in mortality over that period of time it was studied, 25% decrease in heart disease, 33, I mean, just on and on. So it's a very, very powerful combination of foods. So it has changed and it's evolved. But then when you look at what it is now, you can take that nine point system. And if you were to go back in time, if you and I were to get in our time machine now and go back to Crete, um, we would see that's what they're eating. That's what they're eating. Okay. Um, all right. And, we, and we'd have to have, and we'd ask them for a glass of wine. So when you're talking about wine, like, do you suggest that your patients drink a wine a day or a couple a week or what's your suggestion? Well, on, on the, on the Mediterranean diet, um, a glass of wine is actually helpful. And there were some studies that came out separating out wine from all of the other groups and showing that it was actually a healthy component. Now, there's a lot of polyphenols in wine. There's resveratrol in wine. There's some really good things in wine. Now, like everything, there's always an ineffective dose, an effective dose, and a toxic dose. So if I were to give you a baby aspirin and you said, I have a headache, and I'll say, have a baby aspirin, it wouldn't touch your headache. If I gave you 325 milligrams, your headache would probably go away, but I wouldn't give you two bottles of aspirin. Wine is the same way. So you can have a glass or two, but beyond that, you lose all the benefit and you enter into the bad area. And, you, and unfortunately, you can't save it up for the weekend. So. so a glass or two per day, yeah? Yeah. For, men are a little luckier. We could have a little more. We could have two women. Sorry, one. Okay, that's okay. Um, so take us through a typical day on the Mediterranean diet. So would you start with what? Would you start with breakfast or would you do intermittent fasting or? Well, so starting with breakfast, you might have some overnight oats. So that's oats that would be set overnight with either water or maybe milk or maybe oat milk. I don't know how you milk an oat, but it's done somehow. <laughs> uh, maybe have some chia seeds in there. And then in the morning when you take it out, you add some berries in there. Uh, maybe a little bit of peanut butter. So now in that one meal, you have... Peanut butter? Oh, yeah. You have whole um, peanut there's quite a few people that are saying that peanut butter is really bad for you. Really? Well, yeah. that just doesn't square with the literature, does it? Mm, um, probably not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the one thing I have discovered in this field is there are people, usually they're called life coaches, which have no formal certification or they certify each other. <laughs> life <And> coaches. They, <laughs> right. And they love to tell you what's bad for you. They say, don't eat all these things. They're bad for you as if they have the only answer. It reminds me of religion. You know, you go to, if you hear some of these people talking from the pulpit, they know the only true way of the Bible. If you listen to them, you'll go to heaven, but not the guy in the church next door. I don't go to church. I just remember that from years ago. <laughs> um, but, and, and these life coaches are the same way. So they like to spread how this is bad. And it's, and it's sort of like this. Um, 
peanut butter is fine. Peanut butter, peanuts is a legume. Now you can make bad peanut butter. You can put a ton of sugar and a ton of palm oil and now you have a highly processed food, right? It's just like a baked potato is very healthy for people. One baked potato is about 170 calories. Uh, it has a lot of vitamin C, it has some protein. It's the most satiating food on the planet, meaning that if we give it to you, you're gonna be satisfied for hours, but potato chips are not the same. Mm -hmm. Potato crisps, I don't, mm -hmm. do you guys call them crisps or chips? We call them chips. Yeah. Okay. And, and they're not the same because they're high, more highly processed and you'll eat far too many of them and they have a lot of other salt stuff on them. So to, to say the potato is bad based on what it becomes mm. is like saying, is like talking about um, aspirin. A couple of aspirin's good. A bottle's not good. There's an ineffective dose and how you process it is entirely different. So peanut butter is healthy. So in that breakfast, you have oats, which is a whole grain. You have fruit, you have seeds, which are a part of the seeds of fruit things, and you have some peanut butter, which is a legume. So you've gotten almost four points already. That will last you because overnight oats are easy to prepare. I usually make three or four days at a time of them. That will usually last you. You'll be able to be satisfied for hours with that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and you can eat it anytime. I mean, the other thing is, Tomorrow morning, I'm getting up at 4.15 a.m. I have to leave by 4.15 a.m. to get to where I'm going. So I'll throw it in the car with me. And, you know, maybe six or seven o'clock in the morning, I'll grab it out and be able to eat it. It's, it's easy. It's transportable. Lunch might be uh, a simple salad, maybe with some fish. I like having some great tuna on my, on my uh, salads. There's tons. There's 20,000 varieties of seafood out there. I'll also put some legumes on the salad, I'll have some healthy bell bell pepper so i'll have a very vegetable rich salad mm -hmm. and um usually with a little bit of fish on it that's and then i'm getting a lot of vegetables with and for dinner that's when i'll save my time for either some meat or poultry um or i'll have a dinner filled with legumes you know beans or or lentils pulses so that's kind of a simple day of the diet and if you do that the that i described to you is about 1500 calories so most people are going to be exceedingly satisfied, be filled for hours with that. And 1,500 calories for the vast majority of people is going to be a, neg a net negative. Yeah, it would seem so. Yeah. Okay. So would you, can, um, would you tell people to stay on this diet forever? For, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that because it's the idea is for it to be sustainable. The idea is for you to find something that you love and that you can mm. eat. I'll give you an example. Let's say we go to Greece and we find this great wine. Mm -hmm. You will forever be buying that wine because <laughs> yep. it's great, right? And you'll say, you know, I remember Dr. Simpson and I went to Greece and we found this great wine. And I'm every, every, at least once a week, I'm having this wine. And it's like, one of my favorite dishes is rack of lamb, which is, you know, they make some great lamb just next door to you in New Zealand, which is like not exactly next door, but on our, our maps, we think it is. It's a long way, but, you know, I'll eat, I'll eat rack of lamb, you know, a couple of times a month because I really enjoy it. Mm. Um, I'll have overnight oats almost every morning because I like them. I like how I prepare them. Um, so once you find your groove, because people are boring when it comes to eating, right? Okay. Yeah. And the problem is food is so abundant 
that you could also make your day this. Well, I got up, I skipped breakfast, I got very hungry, so I had some yogurt, which was the highly processed stuff that came from the store, which has more sugar than ice cream. Then I decided for lunch, I was gonna have a hamburger, French fries, and uh, cola. So there's 1500 calories right there. And then for dinner, I had uh, steak because I wanted to be, you know, carnivore-ish. And, <laughs> and there was this tiny piece of broccoli on the side, which I left alone. And I ate this baked potato, but it wasn't just baked potato. I put a ton of sour cream, lots of bacon bits on it, 15 pats of butter, and maybe some salt. And then I had the lava cake for dinner. Now, I've just given you a 4,000 calorie diet, yep. but that's pretty easy to eat on a daily basis. Yep. Or, wow, it's late. I'm tired. I'm going to like, I got home late. I'm just ordering pizza. Mm -hmm. Now, what are you getting? What do typically people get on their pizza? In America, we put tons of meat on it because we're obsessed with meat and cheese. So you'll see our pizzas filled meat and cheese and they're about 800 calories a slice. Whereas if we were going to back to that island in Crete with our bottle of wine that we got, you know, and we're looking back, they would have flatbreads, their version of a pizza, and they're filled with fresh vegetables and olive oil and cooked to perfection. And you would be eating that and maybe a tiny bit of cheese for flavoring. And that's, you know. I see what you mean. Wow. So it would appear to me that the westernized diet is high in calories. Like you just mentioned they're 4,000 calories. Now, so you suggested before that you don't tell your patients to consume like 100 grams of carbs, 100 grams of protein, blah, blah. But do you put them on a caloric restrictive diet? Oh, I usually find that I don't unless I specifically ask for it, because I usually find that if we talk about foods and what they can make, I have better luck with them than selling them a calorie. Let me give you an example. We have a franchise shop here called Subway, and they make these Subway sandwiches. Uh, yes. So I had this patient who was this nice carpenter, and every day he would go to Subway for lunch. And I know what he makes a year. And so I said, do you like peanut butter? He says, yeah. Do you have whole wheat? Do you know how to make a peanut butter sandwich? I said, yeah. So why don't you just make a peanut butter sandwich? You're getting whole grains. You're getting a legume. You can even put a little jelly on there if you want, or you can put bananas in and get a fruit. And let me show you what, what that will do for you. So first of all, I've changed his diet from a Subway sandwich with, I can't even tell you, he was getting the Italian sub, which has lots of stuff. It's really not Italian. It's the American version of Italian, which isn't Italian. <laughs> um, and, and then I said, let's calculate how much you spend every day on your sandwich. He was working a week a year to pay for his lunches. Wow. Wow. I see what you mean. You know, mm. and, and now, you know, now he's eating healthier. It's a small change in his diet. It's not a big change in his diet it's not i didn't say eat eat legumes or eat mackerels who came up with with a plan that works for him and mm -hmm. something that he likes and just like uh the other day on tiktok i made some an american version of doll which is a great you know and i got it from a, a, a friend of mine who's from bengal who's a a chef on the food network or a judge on the food network and so i didn't use the traditional spices. I used the sort of pre-mixed spices. 
and it's delicious. And in 30 minutes, you have a great meal. And, oh. you know, and it's sort of like, how often do you come home and say, you know, I can throw this in, I can throw that in, I can make some dal, I can, it, it's not hard to throw in lentils mm. and spices and stuff. And in 30 minutes, I can do it. Or I can go to a restaurant, drive to the restaurant, stay in my fancy clothes, drive to the restaurant, wait, order for the restaurant, wait in the restaurant, and then drive home, probably order something in the restaurant that I don't want. Or in 30 minutes, I have a meal at home and I can be in my pajamas while I'm making it. Yep. 